Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity, the the podcast. I have a quick update for everybody this week. Carolyn Ford has has decided to move on to bigger and and better opportunities, but unfortunately, as a result, she will no longer be joining me on the podcast every week. One of the great pieces of news, though, is Rachel Lyon, who you may know from episode 68, where we were at RSA talking about what it takes to run a cybersecurity show from a industry perspective is is going to be joining us and taking Carolyn's place. Rachel, Director of Communication for Forcepoint, welcome to the team. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Eric. And, you know, I can never fill Carolyn's uh, shoes. Those are some pretty big shoes, but I'm super excited to be here. Uh, And especially for my first episode to be talking with Dr. Chase Cunningham. I mean, how lucky am I? So thanks for having me. (laughs) Your bar for luck is low if if talking to me is luck. Well, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Zero Trust, Chase Cunningham from episode 50, where we did talk about Zero Trust for probably 30, 35 minutes. Uh, Great episode there. Chase, welcome back. You're now the Chief Strategy Officer of Ericom. Yes, I am. Cybersecurity vendor focused on RBI. Do you want to tell our guests what RBI is? So that's remote browser isolation. Um, that's that's the current offering that's out there. And really what, what we're talking about there is basically running your uh, your desktop, your browser through the cloud. That's the simplest way I can put it. Really getting it off the desktop, getting it out somewhere, pushing the pushing the security envelope out into the cloud to better protect the internal organization yeah. systems, right? The, st- the strategic value there, because I mean, that's what I always look at, especially around the context of ZT, is the more that I can use the cloud and extend uh, sort of my my defensive edge, um, the better off I am. And, you know, uh, the one reason why I, and I wrote about RBI, gosh, two years ago at Forrester, as far as like a yeah. tech was really like, look, I'm I'm OK with things going sideways, but I want them to go sideways in a Petri dish. That's not my endpoint. And that's what we're doing with this particular solution. Very cool. So you mentioned Forrester. You were the principal analyst for, or one of the, a principal analyst at Forrester, focusing pretty heavily on Zero Trust, which yep. mm-hmm. episode I, 50, I, listen, you can hear all about your, your perspectives on it. I'm sorry, yeah. Chase, go ahead. No, I, was, I was just going to say, I think I, uh, I think I have a traumatic disorder from all the ZT work I was doing at Forrester. <laughs> <laughs> so, so why do you, Rachel and I were talking about, we were, before the show, we were preparing, we were chatting. You know, help us understand the move from the analyst side. You're you're now in industry, a Navy veteran. You know, you used to do red team work. Help us understand, you know, what that shift is like. Well, uh, number one, it's it's very different because when you go from like I went from industry consulting to analyst, and there you go from you know sort of conversing, doing, working, whatever, and then you go to analyst, which is research, plot, plan, strategize, that type of thing, and then now I'm going back to doing a lot of what I've been sort of preaching at. And for me, like you said, just on a, on a personal level, I felt like I was at a stage where everything was going really well with the initiative around ZT that, you know, we collectively had put in place, but I wanted to see if, if my own, you know, sort of practical application could actually do what I was telling other people they needed to do. Cause it was, 
it's always okay to tell stuff, tell people to do things. But when you have to do it yourself, you really get the ground truth on whether or not what you're saying is actually achievable. Okay. Okay. And, and Rachel coming as the director of communications, I mean, you're telling people, you know, what our thoughts are on the industry. You're telling people you agree with that. Absolutely. You know, I think Chase, we had talked about this a little bit last year when we caught up, um, you know, just the explosive growth too uh, of zero trust with, you know, all of the work from home, the distributed environments and, and just the acceleration of, of enterprises looking to, to embrace the strategy and, you know, how do you move forward though? That's the big question. I think a lot of people ask themselves as well uh, because it's so critical, but, but how do you move forward? Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's the deal is um, it's, it's, we're moving into a place where this has gone global. I mean, I have conversations with folks in Australia and Japan and India and uh, the UK and the Middle East. So, I mean, the, the good thing is, is we've, we've crossed the chasm as far as adoption. Um, but now it really is about which things are useful in the context of, um, you know, delivering that capability. Okay. So one of a couple of things have happened. I mean, I could say from the government perspective, Zero Trust has really picked up steam in the last, I don't know, 18, 24 months, probably, Rachel. Yeah. What we've seen. Definitely. Chase, does that align with what you've seen? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, I think COVID, you know, I always look for, uh, yeah. you know, never waste a good crisis. And unfortunately, right. this COVID thing has been a huge crisis. However, it did finally put the nail in the coffin as far as a defensible perimeter. And now, I mean, the, the, if, that, if that approach died, right, then everyone says, well, what is the next strategic approach that makes sense? It's ZT. So I don't have to converse or argue with people anymore about that they can defend their perimeter because they know they can't. Well, and, they, and they've, they were forced to do something very rapidly, as we've talked about before on the show. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we even see NIST coming out with the Zero Trust architecture. Uh, 800-207. Yeah, 800-207, right? kind of the guidelines, the Bible, if you will, uh, around NIST, uh, you know, zero trust uh, last August, Mm -hmm. right? So we're seeing a lot of evolution in the space. Are we seeing in your experience, a lot of implementations? Are we learning a lot from them? What's working? What's not? How people are interpreting? Well, I I think where we've I mean, I think we've seen an adoption first of uh, micro segmentation and uh, identity and access management, which I think makes sense. Um, however, really, that was kind of trucking along somewhat before COVID. Now, COVID has expedited what's, what else is needed there. Uh, and, I, and I think what we're starting to see is that it's not just big enterprise, a big government or whatever else that's dialing in on this approach and needing these solutions. It's everybody everywhere. Uh, and that, that's, that's a deciding factor too, because we, we forget, even if you have the most secure zero trust infrastructure on the planet, when you're connected to someone else, if they have disregarded their security infrastructure needs, they're going to introduce a threat to you. Um, and I mean, it, 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 it would be the connected nature of business is what's going to continue to allow compromises to take place if we don't approach it correctly. Okay. Really the weakest link in the chain is where you're going to see the break. Well, and I, I, you know, I, I'm hesitant to even say the weakest link because I think a lot of folks are doing things that are strengthening their position. However, what I do run into is that the, the folks that aren't deeply entrenched and don't have dedicated resources to security, they don't necessarily get what makes sense along the lines of a strategy. They just think they can get stuff technology and turn it on and they're better. And that's not how it works. 
Yeah, that's been my uh, career-long challenge. You know, I, I often say the only people making money in cyber are the employees. You know, you, you go out and you you buy some tech and you do well with it and you go get another job and do well with the same tech. Or, and if you don't do well, you just go and get another job. I, I don't know that it's always about the technology, but we spend so much time and focus on the tech. I mean, it's, it's tech, you know, and I, I, what, what's really valuable and people kind of, I think should look, look at tech more broadly is technology is always a dual edged sword. You know, I, I wrote in my, uh, in my book I published, I was like, a shovel is a piece of technology. I can use it to dig an irrigation ditch to help people farm and feed families, or I can take the same shovel and bash you in the skull with it. And it's a weapon. Like it's, I mean, that's the reality of technology, right? Whatever you use right. it for, it can be used for a nefarious purpose. Or you can buy the shovel and leave it in the shed and never use it. And Or, yeah, you could invest in shovel technology and never even turn on shovels. <laughs> we, we, we see a lot of that. Ra Rachel and I don't necessarily see the integration as much as we'd like in the business, where we have a strategy, we have an architecture, we have a plan, or customers do. Um, and, and they're buying technology components to fit in to, to solve a component of that stack that problem set, if you will. Mm -hmm. And and it's integrated. A lot of times it's, Hey, I have money or, Hey, I, I was told zero, zero trust is important. So this is what I'm doing around IDAM or ICAM, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. So what's, what's your recommendation though? I mean, coming from an analyst side, having been a practitioner, how would you recommend customers approach it? Well, I mean, I think first, yeah. I mean, first, right. So I always like to solve for the, the physics of the problem. Like where are you, everybody talks about risk, right? Where are you most likely to encounter stuff that would cause a compromise? And for the record across the history of cyber, there's never been a single exploit that worked just because of some crazy AI that just activated it. It was human somehow, somewhere that caused that thing to do whatever it did, whether they downloaded it or clicked on it or had a bad password or whatever, like it was human related. So being able to have the controls and capabilities to, to secure our users, I think is first and foremost on this whole thing. And there's a whole bunch of different ways to do that. But if you don't deal with that, you, I mean, you can firewall yourself into a, into a, until you have a, one electron at a time bouncing around. It doesn't matter. Sooner or later, something will go awry. So I, I think it's really about extending the edge of control, uh, making it where the users are the of applied security. And then moving into those other things, which are more difficult to solve farther along uh, sort of the, the curve towards maturity. Okay. So if, if I'm listening as a, you know, a, a, a cybersecurity practitioner, how do I, what, what are some of the recommendations that either one of you have seen out there where the users are the focus of applied security? What, what do I do? How do I make that, how do I make that tangible? I mean, I, I personally would say number the one of the number one things you've got to do is turn on multi-factor authentication on stuff all the time, everywhere. I mean, that there's yeah, there's people that say, oh well, it's been compromised, whatever. Okay, sure. Like there's there are ways to get around MFA. However, it is it's not a low-hanging fruit, right? I mean, that that infinitely gives you more uh, ability to have you know sort of the no with access. And then I think the next thing that kind of follows along with that is putting things in control around. Um, the devices themselves, patches and whatever else. And then, you know, the, the monitoring of the individual activity. And it's, it's not that draconian thing of, I want to know what you're doing at home and I want to have insight and be creepy, but 
if I'm going to defend you, I have to know if there's something anomalous going on, you know, and that's, that's, and I think you can go forward from there in a whole bunch of different ways. But if you said, you know, first three things out of the bag, in my opinion, it's along those lines. So multi-factor authentication, really looking at the endpoint clients, patching, making sure all the patches are up to date. And then monitoring user behavior and activity. Well, I mean, just making sure that the device itself is somehow protected, you know, that it's got something running on it. Because even at the end of the day, if nothing else, I just want you to at least run some sort of security software on your on your endpoint. There's things I'd like you to do, but if I have nothing else, at least do that. At at least give me AV or what the modern day equivalent. Right. Right. Don't just let that thing be running naked across the Internet. Carolyn or uh, Rachel thoughts. I may do this again. We miss Carolyn. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> Rachel thoughts. Um, no, I think it's a really good point that he's making though, about securing the user, you know, and, and Chase, I'd be interested from your perspective is, is this a new concept for a lot of people to, to be looking at it from that perspective of securing the user? Um, I know like RSA last year, the human point, you know, or uh, yeah, that was the, the theme. Um, it, it seems like in the last 18 months or so people are starting to come around to it more, but Again, I mean, do you think the the events of the last year really helped, you know, really make pointed, right, that your people, the people perimeter, you really have to secure the people. I mean, it's it's almost a, a new way of thinking in a sense. Would you agree or or kind of what are you seeing there? I think that we're starting to see that that becomes a pretty common point of conversation, which is good. I still think there's, you know, within the technology space, right, there's some things that folks push because that's their offering and that's fine. Right. But I mean, really where we're getting to is technology has made it where, you can do these things for the user and it's going to be relatively low impact to them. And I, I actually like I'm working on a paper about it, but like when I got to my new job and I did all my benefits stuff, I didn't have to contact HR. I didn't have to do I I was able to walk through the wizard through the UI. I set up all my benefits, all my dental, all my medical, all my other insurance, whatever. And it took me about 15 minutes and now I'm I'm good. And I have a bit of uh I feel a little bit better because I know that I've set up those things to take care of me and my family. Like security should be the same way where it's driven by the user. It's sort of choose your own adventure, but you are making sure that they operate within the bounds of control that will take care of them. And that's where we're going to, to get to. But we don't manage it like that. We, I mean, we don't update the security controls, the applications and rights that we have in, in, a, in a manner like we do when we're paying for health insurance. And we change a plan somehow, or we, you know what I mean? I, I well, don't, we don't see that happening. Do that. I mean, yeah. I think we're, I think we're starting to see the inklings that that's becoming a thing. Um, you know, if you kind of look at Duo and some of these other companies that have got pretty good approaches to it, where if I try and authenticate, Duo is going to check and go, uh, you didn't patch your machine. Here's the patch you need, click it, do your thing. And then they'll allow you to authenticate. So some of these companies are putting those things in place where it is, driven by the user and their interaction with the apparatus, which is, which is really good. I mean, I think that, um, you know, look, covering the market, like I did while I was at Forrester, I started to see that that was becoming more commonplace. And it, it, uh, the other thing I, I, I I would say we're starting to see too, is a lot of what we tagged as security technology. We realize if you're effectively approaching, approaching the problem is a lot of it's an IT issue. It's not security. And and that's one of the problems I'm seeing. So let's transition for a second to my favorite topic. You know, uh, 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 the solar winds breach, right? Mm-hmm. So we're working with 
customers. I'm seeing industry talk. I mean, who's responsible here? Is it IT? Is it cybersecurity? And, and there's clearly a delineation, a line that's causing some problems when it comes to who's responsible for the patching, who's responsible for understanding what's going on, who's responsible when they do subvert some of the, the zero trust concepts. And, and you know, the adversary is now an admin, a domain admin or an admin on the system and, and can create, they can get around multi-factor authentication. They can create accounts that are trusted. Yeah. Now I mean, what do we do? Well, I mean, this is going to be a, a a forest fire that takes years to dig ourselves out of. I mean, they're dealing with burn down lists, the likes of which we haven't seen. Um, when we when we go back to this, uh, you, a lot of folks were like, well, this is a first one and done in the software supply chain. Uh, actually, no. it wasn't. If you look at Maersk and Norsk Hydro, the same thing happened to them. And it was accounting software that got those folks because the Russians were able to implant something into that system. You're so talking back in in like, what was that, 18, 17, maybe yeah. with the Ukraine? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was, it was exact. I, I actually think that what we saw there was a, an early iteration of what they were planning for this particular approach. They tried it out on a commercial entity, knowing that it wasn't government and they had a way to practice that skill set. And it just happened to work really, really well, um, you know, because they took down all of Maersk and Norsk Hydro. But the other thing that that is starting to show up here, and I think we're going to see more of it in the near future, is the uh, procurement customers, vendors, third party issue that of the business side is going to become part of the vetting life cycle for the approach to ZT or for infrastructure anywhere, right? So if you look at the government with CMMC, they're actually putting control uh, a framework in place to say, hey, Primes, if you're doing business with a third party or vendor, guess what? They have to do these things or you might lose the contract. Right, which Rachel, as we know, is over 300,000 current day dib vendors. It, it may skinny down a little bit when people say, I can't afford to do that or I choose not to do that or whatever, but that's, that's huge. Oh yeah, massive. Yeah. Do we think it'll work? I think that it's a good step in the right direction. I think it's a bit um, heavy handed by the federal government to have some of those expectations they're levying on small you know, vendors. I mean, because they're, there's when I was uh, consulting, I worked with a group that was doing software for the F-35. It was three guys. And it was like, you know, they were a sub to a sub on, on a contract. But it's like, all right, you mean you're going to tell me that they have to be CMMC level one, you know, compliant like that? that they'll, they'll never do it. They'll just they'll just find other ways to work. Yeah, but I mean, they're pretty basic. I mean, level one. Basic cyber hygiene. Do you have a cyber? Oh, it's, it's very basic. Yeah. I mean. Um, I mean we talked a little bit before the show started about moving to the the underserved markets, mm-hmm. right? And, and how do we make cybersecurity easier so that they can better protect themselves? Yeah, what I, are you doing I, for cybersecurity is pretty simple. Well, I mean, in a lot of instances, I, and the reason I kind of brought up the underserved market stuff is I had a, uh, a workshop with a uh, coalition in, in uh, Horn of Africa. Um, and when I started talking to them about what they were doing for cybersecurity, none of them, nobody had anything going on about what they were doing for cyber. And these were folks that were running banks and healthcare organizations and whatever else in, in Africa. And they were, their response was, well, we, do, we don't really know. Um, and I, my thing is, I would guarantee you those folks are doing business with other folks outside of Africa that could cause a compromise. And, you know, you've got to find a way to get to it. And they didn't need a whole lot. They needed, like we said, antivirus and some of these other solutions to help them out. Uh, it's, you know, to make them a, a harder target. 
you know, basic cybersecurity, achievable for small companies, subset of universally accepted common practices. We're talking mm. basic stuff on level one. I mean, Rachel, is it too much to ask? No, I mean, it's it's kind of uh, remarkable too, right? If you're just doing the basic cyber hygiene, that gets you pretty far. It gets uh, you somewhere. You know, yeah, exactly. You know, and and they kind of make it pretty simple to do that today. So it's it's kind of surprising to hear that folks aren't even doing that. Yeah, I'm not. Well, I'm people sure don't I'm wear seatbelts. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's, people don't that's wear seatbelts. Right. People smoke cigarettes. People, you know, just uh, people do things because they're willing to accept the risk, even if it's right. not right. the best. Because it's not going to happen to them, right? It, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But but Chase, you said you know the government's pushing pretty hard. I think pretty uh, overhanded, maybe. I'm trying to remember the exact word you used. Heavy-handed was what I heavy-handed. said. Heavy-handed. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I don't don't want to misquote you, but. You know, when you look at things like HIPAA protections, things like that, I mean, the government's doing the same thing to protect your personal data. Is well, look how well that's worked. Uh, <laughs> I hear you. But are they overstepping or is, is this something that as a consumer, as a constituent, you should assume that you should expect that people, that organizations that have your information, that you share information with, are doing at least something to protect it. Well, so interesting point there uh, is that uh, there was a study done, I think it was by uh, Harvard um, Business School about if you talk to a bunch of consumers and said, would you be willing to do more business with a company that can tell you how they secure your data or one that doesn't, doesn't have a clearly sort of referenceable approach. Oh boy. 55, 55% of those folks said we would rather do business with someone that can tell us how they secure that information, which is, kind of logical, but it means people value security more than we think. So, you know, having, having that ability is a competitive differentiator, but um, the problem that I have with the government space is we write lots of policies and lots of legislation by people yeah. who are well-intended, but no offense, don't have a technical background. And then we have no way to technically enforce said policy, which is where we wind up in the quandary we're in right now. I, I got to ask though, Rachel, what do you think was happening with the other 45% who said, no, I'd rather do business with people who don't have a handle on their cybersecurity. I mean, it, that blows my mind. Yeah, I can't yeah. believe that it's that high. 45% is insane. I mean, this is an <laughs> easy one. Chase, Chase, did it at least say the price would be higher or it would yeah, take so longer? Or like, yeah. yeah, I mean, there was other things in there that were like, you know, I think it was, um, would you pay more to have access to services that were secure, that type of thing? And okay. 40, I mean, 45% were like, nah, I'm good with, I'll just, you know, deal with what it is. No, no, what do you, I, just because I'm, 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 I'm focusing on this for a second, but what do you think people do in real life though? Oh, I think they, people just, I mean, it's all about speed and ease of use. That's yeah. why, I, I mean, I think security's <laughs> got to get to that space. I mean, I did, it, you know, and, and we, we also too, we have a generation of, of folks that are coming into the workforce now that have never been a day in their life without Wi-Fi. Like they don't even know how technology works, but they use it like it is horror to their persona. Um, right. So we have to make it where it's part of their, you know, everyday living scenario. So, but what I think you're saying is they'll take Wi-Fi, whether it's secure or not, they just, they want to get connected as opposed to really checking, Hey, is this secure? Is this the best way for me to get on? Board? Oh, you want to, I mean, you know, this, you got kids, right? You want to talk about chaos, turn off the internet for 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I do that when the grades go down, it works <laughs> very, very effectively. So what does the future look like? 
Let's talk about that for a few seconds. We've got Zero Trust. I mean, Zero Trust has been out for what, 11, uh, 13, 12, 13 earliest, years? Yeah, earliest, input, or earliest references to it is 2009. Okay. So it was right on with the timing. Where do we go in the future? I, mean, I think we're we're going to that place where it is going to be more about the user, more about the cloud, more about BYOD and remote work. Um, you know, the last numbers I saw said that uh, I think it was thirty three percent of the global workforce will never return to an office full time. So I'm thirty three percent. Rachel, are you going back? Are you going back to the office? Workforce. I, I get so much done from home. I don't know about you guys, but it's wonderful. I'm able to focus. I can just, you know, aside from the dogs barking every now and then I get so much done at work and, but I do miss the hallway conversations. Okay. So I, I think we've, we've clearly poked some holes in that, that perimeter that we all want that Maginot line, <laughs> but we don't have to, that's the thing. We don't, I mean, if we, if we do it correctly, we, again, you're never going to be bulletproof, but you can be bullet resistant. And mm -hmm. that's where we're trying to go. And that's why I say more BYOD, more cloud, more of this sort of digital experience is where the power lies, but it does require folks from all business way up to, you know, enterprise to basically say like, we're going to approach it differently. And this is the, like I, I tell people in, in speeches, whatever, I did a whole bunch of SKOs this year. Like, this is the time, like you have all of the calamity that's occurred has made it where this is an accepted approach. Do this now. Right. Because Rachel's not going back or right. she's going back on her, exactly. on her terms, my terms. And, you know, I have to say too, I love the focus on user experience. Right. I think that's such an important point that the folks are starting to come around to, because if it's, if you have to think too much about it, then you're not going to do it, right? Because you just want to get connected. You want to have it be faster. And I love that that's part of the conversation now is more user experience. How do we make security more ubiquitous so it just works and you don't well, have to think about it? If, if you want yeah. a good relation to look at, like look at the, the modern automobile, right? So if you go back even, let's say five years, you used to have to buy a GPS and put it in your car. Right. You go back a little further than that. You used to actually have to have an option to get an airbag. Like all these things. Now you get in a modern vehicle you push the button to turn it on because they don't have keys anymore. And then you drive wherever you're going to go and you can talk to Siri and it can, and I mean, it's all there for you. And it's, it's evolved to that point where you get really modern transit without all the crazy technical requirements. You just drive your car. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. So, so it is, will we see an evolution of zero trust or will we just see zero trust in practice? What's your thought? I think we're going to see a technology evolution for the core components of ZT that are going to make it more like Rachel's talking about, more part of that user experience and more uh, inherent in security. But I think we will see the broader adoption of ZT strategically for um, enterprises. But it should be and transparent. I mean, I mean, enterprise from small biz all the way to big biz. Well, and this is one where we were talking about the under, you know, the underserved, uh, smaller end of the business cycle, but, but the cloud is to me in some ways, the great equalizer, right? Yeah. I can sign up for a hundred thousand users, or I can sign up for 20 if that's the size of my business. Now I may have consulting teams. There may be things I can do differently from a large corporate enterprise perspective than I would as a small business. But when the tools are oriented towards me and they work, I've got better protection than I did five years ago when I had to set it up in a, in a data center or a server closet of some sort. Or not I mean, the cloud is where the power lies. Like that's where that's where things should be going. Um, however, remember the cloud doesn't care if you're secure. That's up to you, right? The cloud is infrastructure. 
just like a bridge doesn't care if you drive off of the bridge. It's there to get you from A to B. Right. In, in your work, did you work with any of the CSPs, the cloud service providers on their thoughts around zero trust, recognizing that they are infrastructure or platform or software as a service, and they've got that shared responsibility model where the end user, Rachel, you and I are responsible for the organization really right. is responsible yeah, I, for that. I worked with um, all, all of them, but I would say flat out, like Microsoft is doing a hell of a job with what they're doing around zero trust for their Azure cloud. GCP is also doing a hell of a job with their, with implementation of beyond corp and the availability of those technologies. And I think Microsoft, Google. yeah, GCP, yeah. right. Google. Yep. And I think, um, I think Microsoft actually has stood up a work group within Azure specifically for ZT for their uh, infrastructure, which is super. Okay. So not only are organizations looking at zero trust, but the big CSPs, which is where the compute is and is continuing to evolve to is evolve to is, is where um, we're seeing activity. Yep. It's getting, I mean, it's, it's, it's taken on a mind of its own, which is good. That's what you've done. That's when you've done things is it's become bigger than just, uh, you know, a few people in a room talking about it. Okay. Okay. So wrapping up, I have a question, Rachel, five years from now, are we better off or worse off as it relates to security? We know we'll be doing more. We know we'll be more connected. We know there will be more people using more things, but are we better or worse off in your opinion? I think we're going to be better off. Everything is trending in the right direction. We're starting to. Exactly. More secure just because okay. we're thinking about the right things now. Uh, and I think it took a while for for folks to get there. Right. That kind of um, almost like herd immunity, if you will. But for security recognition of, you know, we need these things. You know, user experience is critical if we're going to be successful here. Uh, we know about the people perimeter now. We know about securing the user. Uh, and in five years, think of all the advancements we can make. I'm really excited for what's to come. I think it's Will we ever crack the nut where it's a silver bullet and we fix all the problems? No, but I think we're going to get to a place where it's we feel really good day to day and, and not so worried like we are today. I look back five years and I believe we've gone so slowly. Really? Uh, the industry just doesn't move fast enough. Dr. Zero Trust to you. What do you think? Better or worse? I think we're going to keep getting better. I think the, to, you know, steal Rachel's uh, point there, right? The herd immunity is becoming more of a... Uh, a realistic thing. I think that the technologies that are in the space are becoming more uh, usable than they were. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we're getting to a place where you can you can do these things and not have to be a security engineer to to do them, which is where we need to go. I mean, my my daughter set up her uh, MFA on Fortnite in about three minutes. Multi-factor authentication on wow. Fortnite, huh? Wow. Mm -hmm. I bet you were a proud dad. I, you know what? I didn't do anything. I just said, you know, and the, the funny thing to me when I asked her why she did it, she said, well, I'm protecting my V-Bucks. And I, she, the, so Love the it. value she got was she was protecting what mattered to her. Yep. It, and I think that's a great way to end the show when it matters to you, whether it's your healthcare benefits that you're checking in on or it's your kid on Fortnite, when it protects them, I, I think that's, I think that's what's going to do it. You, right. you can't have a few people in cybersecurity, protecting the whole organization. You need the organization protecting the organization. Agreed. Yep. Chase, awesome having you for Rachel's first show. Rachel, I'm so glad you decided to uh, to pick this one up and join us. Chase, where can where can our listeners find you? DrZeroTrust.com? 
You can find me at drzerotrust.com, which that site's coming live here pretty soon. You can also find me at uh, ericom.com and then uh, C-Y-N-J-A-C-H-A-S-E-C on Twitter. Um, and I'm pretty easy to find on LinkedIn as well. So Nice. We'll link to that in the show notes. Rachel, any, any last thoughts from your first show? No, no, I'm excited to be here. And like I said, I mean, Dr. Chase Cunningham for the first guest, I, I feel like the luckiest girl in the world. So thanks for having me. And uh, I look forward you to You are way more. too kind. <laughs> Chase, I love you. I'm not sure I would have gone quite that far from my perspective, but that's the beauty of this planet. We each all, we all have our own perspective. Yeah, uh, and some people like Rachel set the bar for luck pretty low. <laughs> <laughs> I love your wisdom. I love your insight into yeah. cybersecurity, zero trust. And I really appreciate your time. So don't take that as a slight at all. I'm just not quite at the same level as uh, your fan, Rachel, there. Anyway, to all of our subscribers, smash the subscribe button, as Carolyn would say. Let us know what you like. Let us give us that feedback. We really do appreciate it. And until next week, this has been To The Point Cybersecurity with Dr. Chase Cunningham, Rachel Lyon. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. 